Welcome to the Explorer's Roundtable, where intrepid voyagers share tales of discovery and adventure and engage with scholars in discussions relevant to the science, history and literature of exploration. Here's your host for the evening, Jonathan Hal Reynolds. Good evening. Tonight at the Roundtable, we have Dr. Elizabeth McKetta, a prolific writer and poet who teaches literature and writing at Harvard University. She has a new novel out titled She Never Told Me About the Ocean, and one of her literary passions is fairy tales. I've known Elizabeth for years, and she is a profound storyteller, a gifted professor, and just an all-around wonderful human being. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us tonight and lending your expertise to the discussion. This is such a treat. I thought it would be intriguing to have you on the show to talk about themes of exploration that are found in fairy tales. So to start off, could you give us a brief insight into the relevance that fairy tales have with exploration? Yeah, so fairy tales are all about exploration and and hidden knowledge and in you know in any fairy tale the protagonist is an explorer at the edge of hidden or forbidden knowledge. One of my favorite teachers, Maria Tatar, who's a fairy tale scholar at Harvard, wrote that magic happens on the threshold of the forbidden, mm. which I think is, you know, links all of these stories that somebody is on the edge of the woods and they have safety behind them, or at least they have known behind them. And they're going to go somewhere that has not yet been mapped for them. And with any luck, they'll earn some sort of happily ever after, after exploring the world on their own terms with courage and um, learning to survive with skills that fairy tales tend to tend to prize that are, you know, greater human skills like kindness and cleverness and loyalty. So yeah, I think that they are all about exploring. Um, and in fact, a class I'm teaching tonight for Harvard is called Mythic Memoir, and it uses that same fairy tale structure to structure life stories. Because in a memoir, you've got a protagonist going on some adventure that actually happened in real life and bringing back some emotional souvenir, whether it's courage to make a change or acceptance or, you know, wisdom. So, yeah, I think that it's they're all about exploration. I recall a study from years ago that was done with 100 elementary school age children where they were asked to make up a story. And every single one of them ended up telling the same tale in one way or another. The plot that all 100 of them told was this. A child journeys into a dark forbidden forest. That was it. And so besides well-known stories like Little Red Riding Hood and Hansel and Gretel, how often do you find this seemingly universal archetype show up in fairy tales? Oh, I love that question. All the time. <laughs> Don't you think all the time from the Absolutely. Fairy tales? Um, I mean, I think all the time. It's one of those questions that's such a delight to think about because it does, you know, some as a, a thousand answers that, yeah, that I used, you know, I've, I've sometimes categorized fairy tales into cottage fairy tales and castle fairy tales, um, very fuzzy distinctions, but often you'll have a, a castle fairy tale where the danger is someone within the castle, like, you know, Snow White and Sanctuary and becomes the, the cottage, you know, the cottage in the woods is safety from the, the dangers of the castle and the castle is known and the exploration and adventure happens in the woods that gets us to the cottage and then eventually back to the castle. But, and then in cottage fairy tales, like the juniper tree or Hansel and Gretel, usually the factors being dealt with are, are hunger and 
um, you know, a lot of the same things like jealous stepmothers, but often the, the adventure for the protagonist happens through the woods again, but ends with some form of riches. So, you know, a sort of form of, you know, what we're going to call castle, you know, something that sort of signifies success and, and being stable and secure and having enough food. Um, but in each one of them, whether you start, you know, whether your starting line is at the castle or at the cottage, um, either way, you're going to go into this forbidden realm into, you know, you're going to, to leave one world and go to another and have to face the, the scary stuff. Um, but the common denominator is that in no story is the child safe from adventure. Man, it's so fascinating. I've never heard that the difference between castle fairy tales and cottage fairy tales. Was that something you came up with? Um, it was, um, it, just because that's, they're, they're so, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, before we go any further, can you give us brief clarity as to what makes a story a fairy tale? What is the difference between a fairy tale, a fable, a folktale, a legend, and a myth? Is the line blurry between these genres, or can they be distinctly defined? And in terms of how they how they differ, uh, there's a wonderful quote that I'm going to get probably very fuzzy by uh, Marie von Franz that talks about how a real event will happen that is kind of amazing and will get told and told again and become a local folktale. And then when no one can remember any of the players in it, it will have become a legend. Like, can you think of any sort of high school sports legend or, you know, what are the things that happened in your town before you were alive? Those sorts of local legends, I think. So I think of legends as often having, um, having a connection to a place, whether it's Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest or the Arthurian legends in, you know, Tentacle Castle. Um, Whereas, and they usually deal with people and feats, and you can sort of try to pinpoint a few things being real, but at the end of the day, there was there's not enough, there's no evidence, you know, it's still made, it's made up, but um, but it has some true pieces. Whereas myths are uh, more about um, kind of natural events. There are gods and goddesses. Um, I think of them as having some tie to places we can recognize, like Crete. And sometimes to places that are clearly fictional, like the underworld, but often having a little less about the feats of, of people and more about the feats of the gods or feats of nature, kind of explaining natural phenomena, that sort of thing. And then fairy tales are usually involving magic, usually involving, many of them involving children or told to children, and then fables involve animals and lessons. But I think all of them really are just stories that um, are flavored with the telling and that date back to prehistory that when, you know, there's evidence of these stories thousands of years ago. Um, and we just continue to, to tell them. How old is the fairy tale genre? Does it go back thousands of years? Is it universal and found in every culture? Or are its origins more recent with European storytellers like Hans Christian Andersen and the Grimm brothers that we're all familiar with in the Western world? Yes. Yes, fairy tales are um, very, very old, um, thousands of years old, and um, and impossible to date, to date accurately, and and impossible too to explain, kind of who started them. And there are two actually, or probably more, but a few different theories about how they have become so universal. Um, one of them is. Uh, I love this. Jack Zipes, who's a fairy tale scholar, describes it in terms of a virus, which I love, which is very appropriate right now, um, that they just kind of, they're these organic beings that kind of infect, infect everywhere they go. They're contagious. 
that wherever you hear a fairy tale, it, you sort of catch it. It spreads and has a new strand in this place or that place. So this idea of the sort of contagious fairy tale that whatever fairy tale would have started in in one place would have just you know proliferated. He cites the printing press and other forms of media in the um, I, think, I think 17th century that sort of fairy tales exploded because there were ways to spread them outside of these little areas. But then there's also a, a psychological theory that fairy tales because everyone, you know, humans kind of deal with the same evolutionary things at the same points of time, you know, psychologically, we kind of all are evolving and having similar concerns from, will there be enough food to, um, you know, will I inherit the land or will my brother, you know, that, that fairy tales sort of mirror human consciousness with the flavor of, of different places. So of course you'd have a red riding hood in, in Italy and, and one in Africa, and they would have the same pieces because people are dealing with the same things. A lot of people would consider religious myths as a sort of elaborate fairy tale. In Judaism, you have Moses who journeys into the desert and up the mountain to receive hidden knowledge. In Christianity, you have Jesus who goes into the wilderness to be tempted before he begins his public life. And in Buddhism, you have Siddhartha who humbles himself by shedding his royal wealth and journeying to the bow tree to receive enlightenment. All these characters were setting out to find or discover something. They could be considered spiritual explorers. So, in a way, their external journeys reflect their internal quest. Do you feel that these mythic motifs and religious texts are in line with the archetypes we also find in fairy tales? Or did the religious stories influence the culture out of which the fairy stories were born? Or is it all symbiotic? Mm, I love this. I love this. And I don't know I about the influence. I don't know, but I do think that it's all the same. It, it is all in line with the same archetypes. I think it's all of the above that the, these stories are the stories that humans have always told. Um, yet, you know, we keep flavoring them with our own concerns, whether they're concerns of a religious nature or concerns of a don't go near the river at night nature. Um, but they're all sort of like a family recipe sort of, changed with what what each you know generation or you know century or you know millennium needs from them but um but i think that they are all really in line um there's a there that that makes me think of a few uh, this, this wonderful writer named john franklin who has written a book called writing for story that i think that i think you know um he argues that there are only universal stories at the plot level that all any great story is going to be a cliche at a plot level because it's a journey and it involves some form of enlightenment or wisdom or survival or something that takes us on the other side out on the other side um, which I just love that I love thinking with the question of is there anything new under the sun um, possibly in terms of the oldest story of you know like those thousand children of the person at the edge of the woods not really you know that every story is an adventure um, an ex exploration of some sort um, but we get to we get to add detail like putting you know flowers on a very old stone when explorers go out to some undiscovered land and they they find something they usually bring that knowledge back to society and share it from a literary perspective do you feel that there's a responsibility that the quester has in these stories once they've taken their journey and received their enlightenment or they're happily ever after that they're morally obligated to return to the ordinary world to share their boons? Or is it simply a choice the quester has with no right or wrong answer? Oh, 
I'm like, gosh, I love that. That is such a writerly question. Like, what is our responsibility to tell what we know or to or, or not to? Um, that's a wonderful sort of ancient mariner question. Um, you know, I when I when I think of the when I think of that question, I do think of the ancient mariner, how he how in the poem he has a few moments of peace only after he's told a story to someone new. So he sort of infected someone else with a story or lightened his own burden of memory by letting someone else share it. That do we as the writers get sort of cleansed or purified by taking our adventure and heaving it off of us for a little while and saying, you know, you hold the world, Hercules, I'm taking a break. Um, you know, so is it for the teller? Um, but, you know, so the question is after we've had some extraordinary thing happen to us, are we able to keep it to ourselves? Sometimes then it becomes a mystery. Mm. Other times we tell it and it becomes our story. In memoir, which, which I love, I'm always a little suspicious when the writer says, I'm telling my story to help you because I think we tell our stories to help ourselves. And if we're lucky, a story we tell might ring true for someone else, might offer them wisdom, but that's their story. And the quester, I think, has only his or her life to live. The works of Carl Jung and books like Interpretation of Fairy Tales by Mary Louise von Franz, Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim, and The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, all look to fairy tales and myths as a sort of narrative map for our own inner life. All these symbols, metaphors, and allegories are pointing us toward our own spiritual adventure, so to speak. What are some of the greatest wisdoms or revelations our adult listeners can take from this genre of stories, fairy tales, that many mistakenly consider to be solely for children? Mm. Oh, I love that question. I love that question because they're not really, you know, even if they, they're intended to be both interesting for adults, which is one reason why a lot of the fairy tales are so body that there's all sort you know, there's sort of jokes about Rapunzel being pregnant that the kids won't catch, but that the adults will sort of feel like I've heard that one again, but at least it's entertaining on this cold winter's night um, that they're, but, but ultimately they are told when a child asks for a story and, and what can adults learn from them? I think on, on one end, they all come back to the, these, these values that make us decent community members and and people and and family members and so i think you know at the end of the day the people who we are cheering for are usually you know they're they're good in some form they're um they're they're clever they're loyal to their siblings they're um kind to the animals that baba yaga has not fed these sort of old values of sort of kindness and generosity and and um, loyalty and cleverness are sort of that at the end of the day, there's really no human shortcut toward, you know, toward sort of being a decent person except for those. And I think that the fairy tales all kind of dwell on those in an often very saccharine way that um, ends up with a sacrifice in order to prove that, that probably we could, we could get that um, Cinderella was good without having her stepmother be quite so bad, but that's sort of the didactic nature of, of the stories. Um, but but um, but uh, yeah, but I think the stories we tell, especially those imaginary ones, are these living beasts that we create as we tell them. Um, and each life at heart is a series of adventures that, as we, you know, we get a little bit wiser and more empathetic through exploring it. I had this wonderful teacher of of a thousand and one nights named Samer Ali when I was in graduate school who said we can't control how long our lives will be, but having interesting adventures, we can make our lives fat. And I loved that idea of having a fat life that by telling and receiving stories, 
we have a fat life. You know, we can have an adventure. It works on our brain and heart. It helps us identify with other people and see the epic in our own small lives. But yeah, we can have a fat life. That's wonderful. My dad's college psychology teacher. Um, his 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 thesis was that we shape ourselves into the people we're going to be based on the fairy tales we learn as a kid, and that we so yes, whoever you are today, Jonathan, and whoever I am today is Elizabeth comes from the earliest stories that moved us. And his theory, I think his name is David McClellan, but I can find it out. His theory was that the that all fairy tales or children's stories are basically have at the root of them one human motivator. One of them is love. One of them is um, is success and the other is power. And that depending on which fairy tales we were most engaged with, we are going to go through life making choices that seek love, seek success, seek power, or some combination. So I wonder if in there is, do we also seek adventure based on how how these characters fare? Can you briefly tell us the premise of your new novel, She Never Told Me About the Ocean, and where our listeners can purchase it? It is a novel that features four adventures, uh, that of a young woman named Sage who's trying to rescue her mother and in doing so has all sorts of adventures, including becoming trained as a midwife in this place called Dragon Island, which is rumored to rest above the entrance to the land of the dead. And then it's woven with the story of her own mother who has an unwilling adventure of growing up on that island and losing many loved ones, including a son to water. Um, and then sort of curved around that is the is Sage's mentor's adventure of going into the land of the dead under Dragon Island to barter with the fairy woman Charon to get a ghost back. And then the fourth adventure is the, the fairy woman Charon's own adventure of trying to figure out how to leave her raft job and come up to live in the sunlight. So each woman's adventure touches the others, which is how our lives work. And I tried to write it with the structure of those, um, you know, those nesting dolls, sort of a story within a story within a story within a story. Because I do think that's how we, going back to your what your point about the you know, our, our sort of conversation about David McClelland and this idea of what stories drive us, that I think that we are very much shaped by the stories that we are told and those become compost for the stories we tell. And so that was what I tried to reflect in this book. And, and you can get it at local bookstores or Amazon or anywhere. Lastly, one question I like to ask all our guests is if you have a book or film recommendation, something that our listeners can dive into beyond this episode. Two that I've read this winter that I really found interesting that are both based in Cornwall, which is which is where I am, um, called The Salt Path and Homesick. Both were about people who did not have homes or lost their homes or were really struggling to find a home. And in that process, ended up having a tremendous adventure. Salt Path is about a couple who had their home taken away in a really ugly lawsuit and decided that since they didn't have a home and couldn't afford a home, they would just pack up their tent and walk the, 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 um, the coastal path, which is, I think, like 300 miles long. Um, so that was an interesting journey. And then um, Homesick, um, I especially liked for, for similar reasons, just about someone's journey living in a tiny little shack and and sort of experiencing nature in this very kind of intimate way um, while trying to find kind of her roots in her home. To all you listeners, for more insight into tonight's guest, you can visit Dr. McKetta's website at www.elizabethsharpmcketta.com and you can purchase her new novel, She Never Told Me About the Ocean, through your local bookstore or online. 
Elizabeth, thank you for being with us here at the Roundtable tonight. This was a fascinating discussion, and we wish you all the best in all your literary endeavors. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode. We'll see you next week, back here at the Explorer's Roundtable. The Explorer's Roundtable was created to provide a place for explorers to share their tales of discovery and adventure and engage with scholars in fireside discussions relevant to the science, history and literature of exploration. If you have a story worth telling, we invite you to share it with us at explorersroundtable.com.